Welcome, one and all, to Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hailing frequencies are open. You called me? Strange New Worlds, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek for episode 205, Charades, comes to you now via scalding hot traditional Vulcan teapot. And just a bit of fleet news before we arrive at the episode. Pete, as of yesterday, we are two-thirds done with watching and podcasting Marvel's Secret Invasion, and uh, it's been a journey. Yes, headed into this final act there, so make sure you get over to the Secret Invasion podcast feed by Fantastic Geek, or check it like you get everything else on the Pop Culture podcast feed. Pete, tomorrow we'll be talking the trailer for Ahsoka, the forthcoming Star Wars series. That's right, Pete. It's the best of times. We have new Star Trek. We have new Marvel. We have new Star Wars all on TV. What could possibly go wrong? Uh, There's a lot of ways to potentially answer that question. We know now that the first two episodes of Ahsoka are going to bow on the same day, Wednesday, August 23rd. But Matt, with now a dual strike in Hollywood, of course, the uh, Writers Guild of America uh, in the 70s of days here, the Screen Actors Guild having joined them a couple days ago. Uh, what could that mean for Star Trek if uh, one of the big bads on the other side, Bob Iger, says that Marvel and Star Wars could be doing too much TV? I know his point was centered at what I think generally is perceived to be uh, subpar and maybe it's a high par. Maybe Marvel's had a high average, but subpar Marvel TV stuff. Uh, Pete, indeed, maybe that's a separate podcast entirely. Um, I don't know that he meant as much regarding Star Wars, although maybe they're maybe they're looking at the balance sheets and saying, hey, season two of Bad Patch was not worth it, much as Pete, we have inferred. You know, for as you know, I'm not a huge prodigy fan, but as much as we, the Star Trek fandom, have been heartbroken that this show in star trek prodigy has been suddenly gobbled up and disappeared um i think we can infer that that was the least watched show since that has been done i think there is the worry oh man what's the residual rate what's the this what's the that for discovery first one out of the gate need to spend a lot of money to lure talent there for picard lure all these people back and so forth for strange new worlds hey we finally figured out the formula Here's what people want. Here's what Paramount Plus subscribers want out of Star Trek. Pay, pay, pay. Um, I, I mean, look, Discovery's final season has been shot. Picard's final season has aired. Um, Prodigy's final season, at least as it forms, it, yeah, work has just finished on that. Wherever it's going to land, we don't know. So this chart I have on my wall here of the five Star Trek shows now is two. One live action, Stranger Worlds, one animated Lower Decks. Um, and that bell curve could be lessening. There's not rumors of that, but there's certainly is that possibility. The streamer slowdown, Matt, would seem to have come with the secret provision that, oh, wow, we'll spread things out a little bit more and boom, 
we've got our first dual strike since 1960. Uh, but I do worry about a trickle down effect from some of the bigger, bigger to the middle, bigger in, in Star Trek here, as far as content. I mean, my goodness, we're going to put it to our Patreon, uh, followers there uh our our patrons to see in the event that this really drags on what we might somehow fill the time with yeah pete it's an interesting question i i really think that people are going to start to notice how things have been banked perfect example literally five minutes before i hopped on here to podcast with you i'm scrolling through instagram and pete what do i see uh, I guess in, Instagram has suggested on the algorithm, there's Jamie Lee Curtis, Lakeith Stanfield, and Owen Wilson outside the Haunted Mansion in Disneyland talking about the movie. And I'm like, hold on. I know they did their red carpet last night, but it was no actors in attendance. And what's going on? Oh, it was recorded a month ago. So I don't fault those actors for like, you know, whoever from PR saying, Hey, your contract has certain PR obligations. We're going to do fun of you know, film, a fun little thing. Okay, great. Let's film it a month ago. Awesome. I can hit my summer even sooner, but what's the perception now? The perception is, Oh, they're, they're advertising the movie right before the movie comes out. So we're going to see more of that on the ad end. We're going to see more of that on the PR end. We're going to see how Disney plus basically has top tier stuff coming out through January. Maybe, Pete, I'm not a huge fan of the stuff on Paramount Plus that isn't Star Trek. Maybe there's a bunch of people that are like, can't wait for another 1872 and then Tulsa King. But I would like to propose maybe Discovery Season 5 coincidentally comes out early, maybe somewhere in the neighborhood of November, which would be around when Lower Decks runs out if it starts in August. We don't have a Lower Decks date yet, but... Again, I wouldn't be surprised if with all this stuff we go Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, Discovery, then, wow, Paramount Plus has had unbroken content from the start of the strike into January. The, the studios, the streamers, the suits, they saw this coming, and it's no surprise to them where this has ended up. It's going to be interesting to see if they blink on the content and, and things get pushed back. Um, we saw in an optimal time where Andor was originally supposed to come out in August and got pushed to September. We know that they're very wise to not overlapping things. And it's going to be a challenge here. I, I don't see this being resolved quickly. I truly hope that it is. Um, but I, I think all these dates are subject to change. Matt, uh, San Diego Comic-Con is this coming weekend. Um, the uh, conditions of striking do not allow um, talent to attend and promote work. Uh, they're not even supposed to be doing social media, which several of them may not have gotten the uh, the marching orders on. Well, Pete, a couple of thoughts there. For Let's talk about conventions for a second, because after I was slapped down on Twitter by a, a Star Trek fan who promotes himself a lot, including things like, oh, any actors can come visit my house if they want. Ha, ha, ha. After I got shot down saying there's no conventions at all for actors. Turns out, Pete, 
after I did a little digging, indeed, as that person did a little digging, what, what actors can't do is promote current or upcoming work. So here's the good news. You know, you're, I mean, Armin Shimmerman, as an example, he was on Twitter saying, uh, I will be going to my scheduled conventions and I will be talking about Deep Space Nine and the Next Generation and Voyager. You know, past work you can talk about. You cannot promote current and future stuff. So the people that we've enjoyed at, at uh, conventions who, frankly, you know, the, the Bob Picardos of the world who probably are making more through the convention circuit than they are um, acting nowadays. Cool. They can continue to do their thing and people can have those wonderful, uh, you know, one on one interactions, the convention story interactions, the Q&A, all of that. Uh, but I would agree with you if you were psyched for San Diego Comic-Con, et cetera, so that you could go see, you know, r rumors of a secret Dune Part 2 panel, which there was going to be one. Now it's canceled. You know, those those current and future looking things are definitely verboten on the social media. end, yeah, it's really interesting how a bunch of people um, and I guess it's technically legit, but a bunch of people were like, oh, man, this post is to remind you to go see Barbie Oppenheimer Haunted Mansion Ahsoka, whatever it is. I guess it's my last post for a while. Pinned post. Now it's top of the pile every time because it's a pinned post, but it's also time stamped from before the before the strike started. Therefore, Pete, it doesn't mean they're breaking the strike, I guess, only in spirit, not in actuality. It's a curious aspect, and certainly it's not something they've dealt with before in terms of a labor stoppage. Um so let's just hope they get in a room, they figure this out, and uh, yeah, we don't have to come up with uh, novel solutions to unusual problems. Pete, the writer's mission clear, get that fair contract. The actor's mission clear, get the same. Pete, let's head into our mission briefing as we dive into this episode. On Stardate 1789.3, Christine Chapel narrates a personal log en route to the far side of the Vulcan system to survey the moon of Kirkoff, where an ancient civilization once lived and vanished. Yet, scans show signs of a strange energy just above the surface. They hope will provide answers about where they went. Captain Pike has slowed the Enterprise to sublight speed so they can take in the view and find themselves with valuable downtime, which Chapel is using to prep for an interview for a two-month fellowship sponsored by the Vulcan Science Academy on archaeological medicine. Umbenga quizzes her in sickbay, Uhura in the gym, and Ortegas and Laan in the lounge who asks the logical question that since her interview is with a Vulcan, why she's not practicing with Spock. Ortega spills that things are kind of weird between them and Chapel shrugs. Aboard a turbo lift, Mbenga and Chapel are joined by Spock, who is headed to Deck 12. She looks over, but he's somewhere else as he leaves and records his own log about using the downtime to successfully apply therapies to better control his emotions. Not only have they helped him carry out his duties, but explore new interests like cooking. While Pike extols the virtue of using fresh 
unsynthesized herbs. Spock's nasal suppressants inhibit his sense of smell because of that of humans. This personal log at a concurrent point to that of Chapel. Pete, it's almost like this has two storylines, which perhaps by the end of the episode will become entwined and meshed. Maybe perhaps such enmeshing happening off screen right after the episode ends. I don't know. Uh, but Spock is trying, uh, in addition to avoid that, uh, avoiding that human stink, he's trying to keep everything uh, in, in proper tension here. Sam Kirk's snacky time mess during the science briefing, something that Spock notices and notices again. He merely gets up and takes the, uh, the, the offending plate and mug and crumbs away. Most importantly, uh, he's able to continue some of these social obligations. He's, he's there for the drinks. He's listening to the jokes, uh, which he finds fascinating. Uh, of course, Pete, we are setting up things such as camera moves and blocking and so forth that will be repeated with the the uh, emotionally different Spock later in the episode. Uh, also, we're told, uh, since they're in the Vulcan system, there's going to be a meetup with T'Pring. She's planning for the Vashal dinner. That's your engagement uh, gab fest there. Uh, Pete, did it occur to you that this is a... Um, that this is a completely self-contained episode, but without the need of a power relay failure or anything like that, they're just going slow through the Vulcan system here because this is a self-contained money-saving episode that is nonetheless written uh, delightfully and has great emotional resonance. It's effortless, Matt. Uh, Spock wonders if the Vishal ceremonial engagement dinner is too soon since he's still not speaking with his father, uh, which her parents are aware of. But with his Starfleet schedule, her mother to Prill felt it would be best despite opposing their union. Spock pledges to help in any way he can, which Pike sees distracts him. Pike asks if he'd rather not pilot the shuttle for the flyby, but Spock insists he's fine and will now have a passenger in chapel. As they awkwardly fly to the moon, she points out he seemed busy in the turbo lift and he apologizes. He acknowledges the Kirkovians were believed to have a robust system of medicine more advanced than any of the current time. He tells her the Science Academy would be lucky to have her. She says it's felt like he's been avoiding her as they enter scanning range. They detect an energy anomaly, which appears to be a stable vortex rupturing space-time. Alarms blare as they get closer, and Spock diverts maximum power to forward shields before steering becomes compromised, and they get sucked in. Indeed, Pete, as the, the moment approaches here, Chapel calling out for Spock. Uh, I have to say, too, Pete, when we were told uh, that there was this rupture in space-time, I was like, wait, hold on one second. There's not supposed to be space-time hijinks and people coming through it from lower decks until two weeks from now. So I was initially... <laughs> indeed, obviously, this episode is not that episode, but I had one... I do wonder if... Uh, there be any setup for that regardless later spock awakens 
He's told he was in an accident. Uh, the shuttle found in space by the Enterprise. Chapel was unhurt. Spock, however, has been healed. Whoever did this has made him has made him human. Uh, and he says, "What the fantastic geek podcast!" As we quickly <laughs> cut to the credits, revealing this episode is written by Catherine Lynn and showrunner co-showrunner Henry Lance Myers and directed by Jordan Caning. Number one and Laon inspect the shuttle, which appears to have been fixed and given a deep cleaning. Laon finds an alien device, which Uhura theorizes is a calling card through subspace. She contacts them and Pike has her routed on screen where he speaks with yellow of Kirkoff who explains remediation has been made per their laws and no further contact is necessary since their shuttle collided with the transport tunnel and in the event of an accident, the damage must be repaired. Pike explains they repaired a member of their crew and Yellow says the two beings did not match. The damaged one contained mixed instructions. Remediation was made, so they match. Thanks are not required and no further contact is necessary. The Kirkovians terminate the transmission and Uhura cannot get them back stuck, but Mbenga is working on a cure. Pike asks Spock how he feels, which is angry, powerless, annoyed, and really hungry. Pike reminds him of his Vashal, which he doesn't think he can attend in this state, especially since Tapril totally hates him and he worries about his now human odor. Pike has already spoken to them uh, to explain that Spock was in an accident and they agreed it was logical to postpone, which reassures him. And Benga adds Chapel is working around the clock to reverse what happened to him. But in the meantime, there is nothing technically wrong with him. So Spock wishes to return to his duties, which Pike cautions him to get his sea legs under. The ensuing montage shows him laugh too hard at Ortega's story overload on bacon to the point of nausea making up for lost time and get all up in sam kirk's grill about his messy ways to the point where he needs to be restrained don't test me kirk i'll break you uh just a delightfully uh, a line amusing in the moment and delightfully ironic as one looks forward to the future later presumably after spock has broken up the science meeting with Two other staffers restraining him uh, as he rages out. Uh, La'an is having a sit-down with him. Uh, she notes that he's going through, Pete, what I'd like to call space puberty. Okay, you got your anger, fear, sexual attraction, and hunger. Like so many snacks, Spock, you just keep snacking. Uh, yes, he says. He also feels sad, frustrated, and strange feelings stirring. Oh, golly. She suggests that he work on controlling his impulses. Great little acting moment here from Christina Chong. She gives him a pat on the shoulder while kind of like not getting too close. Like very clearly, <laughs> Chong has thought through La'an's reaction in terms of like, Spock is talking about these stirring feelings and she wants to give him a friendly and professional pat on the back, but also time to go pat, pat while bending at the waist and stretching a little bit. And then 
hitting warp nine to get out of there in that metaphorical warp nine of course in the med lab chapel has been working all night trying to find a solution benga notes that she shouldn't blame herself uh, she saved him after all not condemned him and what are you forgetting about uh it's interview time with the vulcan science academy she runs to her zoom meeting uh and she's a bit late uh the vulcan unimpressed with her work indeed her resume uh far too independent and not uh you know memorized enough at all we'll be in touch click uh she's a bit upset by that and runs into spock in the hall he is warm and sympathetic indeed offering her the hug which she uh, accepts uh, it's getting better uh, for him, he says. Sometimes Pete, proof of that getting better, sometimes he doesn't cry in the shower. Uh, oh, wait, that's not the reaction uh, that he was necessarily looking for. Kidding. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> and uh, it's a we... sonic shower, so who knows what it does to tears, right? <laughs> um, okay. um, Pike summons him to the transporter room right away where his mom has beamed a poured. Pike tells her Chief Peleus sends her regards. But she can't be there because she's off dealing with their dilithium shortage and man better casualty of the budget. And Amanda thinks that Pelly is probably procuring antiques as well, which causes Pike to note she was awfully enthusiastic about purchasing dilithium. Spock enters with a silly Starfleet issued beanie. Pike has one just like to his mother's apology for surprising him, arriving with news to Pring's family is unhappy. The Vashal dinner must happen immediately or the wedding will be called off. Spock tells her it's impossible for many reasons. He asks Pike to confirm, but Amanda has the impression they were on half-duty rotation to give the crew rest, which is technically true. Topring's family has agreed to have the dinner aboard the Enterprise tomorrow night, which Spock says is wonderful news and triggers what he tells mom are muscle spasms left over from the accident. She says it's good they'll remain on Enterprise near his doctor and wants to discuss the three important parts of the Vashal ritual, which makes his spasms intensify. He wants to delay, but mom says it simply isn't logical. And he raises his voice that he doesn't care about logic since the accident has put him in a difficult place to have the dinner. What part of that doesn't she understand? Pete, you have captured the acting here, the emotion, the feeling between mother and son, fear, love, all of it. But you know what? not enough people are talking about pete is the brilliance of the fact that the knit hat has a backward logo on it suggesting that it has been hastily synthesized uh conversely i know somebody on twitter said this hat should be on sale at StarTrek.com right now oh look it's not uh obviously they're implying it should be with the 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 right word logo and all of that but uh all of this the the costuming the acting all of it working so well as spock reveals to his mother that he is human in pike's quarters spock is stress eating and amanda notes that uh spock's uh the fact that amanda is a human that has been a sticking point behind the scenes spock had no idea she suggests that they lie to get through it all and um 
it's the best choice here because dissolving an engagement uh, or running contrary to engagement protocol carries a lot of uh, baggage on Vulcan and so forth. So step one is address the ears. Uh, they're going to be made in presumably latex as genetic stuff would mess up the cure. Pete, I love that little hand-waving moment. Of course, as you know, in the series premiere, there was genetic stuff to make people look different and here they're kind of saying yeah we could do that but instead we're going to go with latex ears next is the tea ceremony where Tapring's family recipe must be made making tea is not the difficult part the difficulty is carrying that scalding teapot uh it would be nothing for a vulcan spock indeed cannot in his human state uh amanda can because pete She's grown used to suppressing pain and emotion on Vulcan. My heart goes out to her here, if I may be so human. I really felt for Amanda in the way that this scene unfolded. You know, you think about the the pain we've already seen her suppress. You know, Michael Burnham, uh, you know, her ordeal there, gone to the future, uh, never to be spoken of openly again um the difficulty with Sarek, everything like that but you'd think about something like childbirth or anything in in that realm here the the physical uh handling of a scalding hot teapot because vulcans uh live on a volcanic planet and you know, the whole idea that they shut themselves off. It's its a really great flourish to her character. Um, meanwhile, Ahura, Ma'an, number one, and Ortegas reteach Spock how to speak like a Vulcan by delightfully impersonating him. The flatness of their tone of voice. Look at how... I move my eyebrow, but not any of the other muscles in my face. It's as if they've been to the ritual of awareness. Pete, I hope that 40 years from now, when the sun has set a little bit on Strange New Worlds, uh, however, it still is just as popular on the convention circuit, I hope that these actors do not need to do the special convention bonus of, we're going to do the how to teach spock to be vulcan scene and you can get front row access or you can be the vulcan here as we tell you speak like this and move just one eyebrow but i think 30 to 40 years from now it will be a mainstay on the convention circuit such is the way of things here um also mentioned as part of this vishal ceremony is the the airing of grievances the sharing from Tapring's parents uh concerning all the faults that spock has indeed there will be some of Tapring's faults mentioned although the episode very gamely fast forwards fast forward through that uh as we will discuss in due course uh amanda says for example spock might have the question how could there be a functional marriage with spock gone all the time to which spock responds you're going there already <laughs> um great. yeah this uh, clearly this is a a, a standout episode for Ethan Peck here. Last is the mind meld. Uh, Spock, uh, of course, has successfully done them before, so replicating that should be easy, right? No, he's grinding his teeth. He looks constipated. He's acting pushy. 
Uh, what do you all want? I can't see her memories, and it's weird. Yeah. Uh, so he doesn't think they'll be able uh, to fake it. Amanda doesn't think they'll be able to pull it off either, since his friends can see through it. And Spock says they better hope Benga and Chapel can cure him, and the haploid genome replacement has failed. The models tell them they have a day after which his cells will lose all genetic plasticity and Spock will be stuck forever. None of Mbenga's techniques will work and Chapel wants to persuade the Kerbovians. Uh, so she interrupts Ortegas and Uhura as they're eating in the lounge to get them to fly her adjacent to another dimension to talk to some ancient aliens. Uhura thinks it could work, and Ortegas asks if Pikes approved it, but Chapel has to try. The ladies get their sandwiches to go to another dimension. Hey, you never know when you might be hungry and need the rest of that, that burger there that Uhura's having. In the transporter room... What's that? Was having a burger. Uhura was having a sandwich. Well... Maybe, maybe it all gets switched in the other dimension. Who knows? In the transporter room, Spock is wearing those fake ears. Amanda tells him it's going to be okay. To bring beams in, she's eager to see Spock. And uh, given the two days that she has spent with her mother, she does not need formalities. It's been challenging. Uh, Spock and to bring walk, uh, and Amanda shall greet the parents, which is a welcome bit of, well, a necessary story space and b. It's welcome to T'Pring. In the hall, Spock tries to bring T'Pring up to speed, but T'Pring herself has been through the ringer. There was a three-hour debate, in fact, over her lovely outfit, Pete, an outfit that hopefully receives an Emmy nomination this time next year, if, if Star Trek can manage some Emmy nominations. <laughs> uh, Spock, at this point, opts not to share more as, uh, so as to avoid problems. In Pike's quarters, a bevy of Vulcan food has been made by the captain of the Enterprise, uh, and the parents arrive. Tapril, in particular, is unimpressed. Uh, Dad does like the, the spot here, but Mom says it's merely adequate. Oh, yes, of course, dear, it's merely adequate. Uh, Spock reiterates that he was in the shuttle accident and shares the lie that there was nerve damage and slightly singed eyebrows. Pike's food is delicious to the father, Savette, uh, Mom notes, however, there are all these deviations from tradition. Uh, Pike says, but but I use salt to slow the fermentation given the temperature differences here. Too bad, says Mom. She wants to start the process now. Uh, Pike says, but I have more food to serve. Uh, <laughs> but oh well. Pete, this is, among other things, one of the successes of this episode um, is that Anson Mount knows when knows when the script is giving him supporting actor moments and he just rolls with, you know, he just rolls with it. Like, no, now I walk into the background with my tray. Um, so that's henpecked nature here, perfectly brought to life by Michael Benier, um, you know, over the, the Tavmel and, you know, oh, wait, there's, there's more food. But Dupring isn't hungry. Ortega's flies the shuttle back to the gravitational anomaly where Uhura is unable to route a signal through the interference of the rift. 
Chapel asks if it would help if they move closer and pleads with Ortegas. Ohura discovers a distortion field blocking them, and Ortegas hates analogies. Chapel has to try, and they can't contact Enterprise. Ortegas can't be the one to vote against the crazy maneuver, and they're doing it. Back to Pike's quarters. It's tea time, uh, and the way the blocking is set up is perfect here. Spock facing the bowl and Pike as he reaches for it and grimaces in pain. Uh, he returns to the tea pouring. He's reminded by Tapring, uh, don't rush. The, 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 the flower must bloom as you pour it. By the way, pretty awesome tea set up there. I think I've seen it on Instagram. It's probably one of those things you can buy commercially. But They uh, created this just for the episode. They talked about in a featurette. The, the kettle was 3D printed. This... This whole prop set was the most expensive done in this season. Well, then they need to do the forty nine ninety nine version of it. Get that on <laughs> StarTrek.com along with the knit, the, the knit Wooby hat there. Um, so the tea is, uh, the hot water is poured, the tea uh, steeped. Mom finds the tea acceptable. And uh, as Spock turns away, Tupring holds his hand in support. We, of course, know it's a sore hand and see Spock grimace. Delightful. Uh, in the other realm, in the other place, the three ladies find themselves in an interdimensional space. Uh, one with a suspiciously familiar shiny floor because they're in the holodeck, uh, you know, uh, LED screen space that they have here. Uh, who has come to them? What is this? What is this? diaphanous shape here it is blue help is asked for uh the friend uh it was a friend who was remediated and he must be properly fixed says chapel blue notes that no complaint was logged uh and furthermore this is a complaint from outside the response period this is very irregular uh blue leaves and chapel and company decide that they simply must wait because they may have a sense that uh their scene is over and now we're going back to bike's quarters Tapring asks Amanda for awareness, and her future mother-in-law says she could visit more. <clears throat> says to oh, oh, and you could have more self-confidence. That totally didn't come from Tapril. That was Amanda's original idea. Uh, and Sebet asks his wife, hasn't he said that as well? Uh, and then it is Tapril's turn. I uh, and indeed Savette says that Tapril is great at creating awareness, which I think isn't it's a great line. It's slightly under slightly under delivered in terms of him basically saying she's great at pointing out everybody's faults all the time. Uh, start the timer. <laughs> indeed start the timer. Um and Spock is gonna bear the brunt of this. Uh Tapril says it's Spock's disappointment by turning his back on the planet, the people, the fiancé. Spock disrespects his father by choosing Starfleet and indeed just disrespecting him in general. Um, he's a failure as a Vulcan and a son. He is undeserving of T'Pring. Many Vulcan men would line up to be by T'Pring's side. Stone looking at you. Uh, and I, one gets the sense that T'Pril could keep going, uh, but it is noted that time is up. The ceremony is over. Uh, and Spock steps away to use the bathroom and to bring 
noting under her breath that a Vulcan bladder should be more resilient. <laughs> it's a great line. The little gong there, the miniature version from a muck time. And, you know, what this engagement uh, dinner episode really does well is insulate the fact that his in-laws are not in a muck time uh, to Prill because she would never be caught dead there and her husband because he was clearly not allowed to attend. In what my notes call Pike's stately tinkle room, Spock punches the air, kicks the air, screams into a towel. Pete, I have to wonder, too. We had earlier in the episode uh, when Spock and uh, Chapel are, are in the shuttle, some of his, you know, how are you, Nurse Chapel? I wonder if there were shades of Leonard Nimoy's performance in the cage and kind of that slightly more like, we are scanning the planet. There are eight bodies there. The third one you can breathe. Similarly here, just the way he screams to the towel, it was very pain. Like it was just... Was that conscious? Was that subconscious? Was that Leonard Nimoy's spirit with us for a moment? I don't know. But Spock uh, calls Mbenga and is told there's been a roadblock to finding the solution. And to get around that roadblock, Chapel has gone to see the Kirkovians. So where is she? Pete, cut to where she is. It takes it takes people to do this, Pete. In that interdimensional space, Yellow arrives. There's desire for remediation after remediation who is this chapel she's a friend friends cannot make complaints due to the lack of connection chapel notes the friends are different in their world is she perhaps a caregiver yellow notes that there was this weird connection between the two of them as spock pushed the shields away from him and onto chapel uh, he chose to protect her at risk to himself so explain all of this says yellow uh, Uhura and Ortegas are short-tempered with uh, Chapel. Just tell Yellow that you like him, that you have feelings for him. Uh, Chapel amusingly has them turn around, um, which is just delightfully, kind of you know, quietly amusing. Uh, and once they turn around, she says that Spock is a friend. She has wished there was more connection. Uh, healing him as the Kirkovians did ha has made some improvements, but it's not who Spock is, the other part of him was taken away, and Chapel misses him as he was. Pete, she's speaking from the heart. Melissa Navia really sells the effect of uh, Yellow here at one point, uh, ducking under what obviously is replaced later digitally. Um, but, you know, the, the two friends along with the other friend to talk to the ancient aliens about the friend. Um, it's something that on paper might sound like it wouldn't work, but the way in which they sell this scene, uh, the blocking, uh, the emotion really makes it powerful and relatable. We go back to Pike's quarters where it's mind meld time. Uh, however, Pike wants to interject and include the Earth tradition of something to deepen the ceremony. Uh, they're going to do that Earth tradition of uh, 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 charades. Um, Spock says, sure, Captain, so explain those rules. Uh, each team gets a word. Is it a sacred word? Oh, a very <laughs> sacred word with sacred syllables. 
Uh, the door chimes, and it's Chapel there with Spock's vitamins. They step into the stately tinkle room where Spock is smiling, very smiling. The hypo is going to fix him internally. The physical changes will be in a few hours, which, Pete, is actually just exactly what the story needs, which is a, a quick emotional fix for the most part, and then physical changes to come. But why did Spock sacrifice himself for her? He feels so much in this moment, and it is confusing. He has more to say, but she hypos him and sends him back out. I think, Pete, because we know exactly how this episode has to match up to, you know, classic Trek, and therefore there will be no deviation there. Um, of course, there is at the end of the episode, but it this going with our expectations so they can be subverted towards the end. Uh, it is Chapel who pauses in the hall overcome with the moment that she has both had the spock that she might want but now returned him to the spock that he must be the mind meld ceremony here the memory that uh spock and amanda choose one in which she took him to school as a child criticized as being mundane not not the expectation that they would have. But to Pring points out the ritual has been completed and uh, mom merely needs to acknowledge the conclusion of the dinner. That's right, mom. We beat you. Uh, to Pring ultimately, well, does acknowledge that all has been done here. Spring's mother notes that uh, despite many failures outside of Spock's control, uh, his Vulcan side has marginally shone through. He overcame his handicap, uh, but Spock notes with building energy that it would have been impossible for a human to do this, right? But Spock is in the moment human, and he pulls off his ear tips there. Is his human side handicapped? Uh, Amanda is patient, resilient, she has been judged her whole life on Vulcan, yet still she has stood by her family out of love. It is strength personified, and he thanks his mother for her efforts. Pete, this, the dinner charade episode where everything is silly and it's dress up and it's the whoopee hat and all of that. But emotional truth here, the tear going down, uh, Amanda's cheek and so forth, uh, a powerful moment. It's a lesser episode if they never have Spock confront his future mother-in-law by revealing that he was human for this, that if they just got away with faking it, um, the truth has to come out here and to do it as dramatically in this largely comedic episode gives it the, the full sense of scope. It does. And one with surprising stakes, as we see in the next scene, some time has gone by to bring wonders why she was not told about Spock's change. He notes that since Vulcans cannot lie or have a, have a, a challenging time to do so, it would have been difficult to put her in that position. He did not want to burden her, especially in light of her uh, the, the trouble she's had with her mother. However, she notes that seemingly everyone on the ship was aware of this and part of the ruse. She accepts him, human side and all, yet still he does not trust in her. And she wonders if indeed they should take some time apart. Uh, 
adding to the bittersweet moment here. What they've been brilliant in doing here is filling this space again before, you know, one of my favorite episodes ever, and certainly that of the producers uh, in Amok Time, what you have to play with here. Why does this relationship eventually fall apart? Uh, that and getting at the blank space between Spock and Chapel. Why do they have this uh, unusual relationship by the original series? Uh, Chapel, of course, denied the fellowship, uh, so decides to throw it into uh, Dr. Vulcan's face. Hey, you know those uh, ancient aliens that lived in your system? Uh, I made contact with them and healed a patient. So, nanny, nanny, boo, boo, you keep your fellowship. Indeed, she does not need to go learn about archaeological medicine. She did an ancient medical procedure today. He can read about it in her paper later this year. Um, she might think about applying again, but in fact, the program is not ready for her. And this time she hangs up on him. That's right, Pete. Sometimes that, that red hang up button on Zoom and meet, it's, it's too good to not smash there. I say good day, sir. In Pike's quarters here, pouring a couple glasses for the ritual of commiseration. Um, you know, unpacking what he's been through his ears now fully Vulcan and able to have uh, that perspective before saying goodbye to his mother, uh, where he asks about the memory that she chose and how important it was to have the Vulcan children uh, begin to view him with some sense of acceptance and what he noted there of uh the difference between her and the vulcan mothers indeed for spock it was just a normal day uh but for amanda it was the first time that she saw her son be accepted and spock now realizes how shunned amanda was uh that judgment was a sign of their weakness those of the vulcans not of her weakness he had not seen his own mother's journey, um, and it's uh, it's a challenge here, a human who loves a Vulcan, but she does it. Uh, later, in Spock's quarters, he's, he's pondering things. He's pondering Chapel, we'll find out. He makes a choice. He goes to the door beautifully. Chapel is there already. He was going to see her. Great line here, Pete. She's here, she says. Just... Just wonderful. This is perhaps the best written scene of the episode, the best acted scene and so forth. Uh, she enters and they look at each other. Uh, he shares that he's taking time apart from to pring. About that, he feels badly, but it was also necessary. Uh, also, he has feelings for someone else and these feelings he will not suppress any longer. He wants to feel this. Uh, they kiss and indeed fall out of frame to end the episode. Pete, we have a tactical analysis of this week's threats. Let's start with the Kirkovians. The 
sound of the name, like Kirk, is an interesting choice. And then the the distant call center way in which they're portrayed, uh, certainly unusual. It is. And um, what's nice is in that Star Trek tradition, um, they are antagonists without being baddies. I mean, it's it's very considerate of them to fix the two broken people and to fix the shuttle and indeed to give it a deep cleaning. Um, you know, it's a little, it, it it's a slight Star Trek conceit of like, what do you human aliens mean that you don't understand our other dimensional rules of remediation and complaint periods and all of that. But that's kind of all par for the course. Um, and indeed, Pete, after a brief explanation, they get it right. So I guess they're both a threat and a friend. The Vulcan doctor, Matt, we know Vulcans can be such jerks and this guy lives up to it. Pete, he, in his two scenes, undoubtedly filmed in one, you know, one hour session or something like that. uh, If even that uh, he nails it as what we all, uh, instinctively like least about the Vulcans, their pedantry, their logic as a means to keep other races, particularly brash, stinky humans, away. Um, it's that Vulcan arrogance there. Um, and it has its own little life lesson because, of course, here he is, gatekeeper for archaeological medicine, having kept away the newest, highly successful archaeologist archaeological uh medicine practitioner in chapel and it is indeed the loss of the vulcan science academy yes which spock has already noted would be lucky to have them and it's with the objectivity of his vulcan state and not his compromised human emotions and then the big bad matt to prill i think the episode does a really wonderful job having the notion of the terrible mother-in-law while not turning it into um, a farce or a caricature. Uh, I think then I I look at Gia Sandhu and I say, okay, you need to cast parents who look similar. And now you kind of have um, a Southeast Asian mother-in-law here of sorts. Um, And I think too, there could have been the opportunity to be like, well, let's dial it back a little bit, or we don't want to be too stereotypical or whatever that might be. And I think they just, they nail the fact that to Prill is the way to Prill is because that's Vulcan culture, because that's certain human cultures. Um, that's not necessarily the jovial arm round, you know, welcome son, welcome daughter, one big family. There, there's an authenticity there that does not skew into caricature. And there must've been discussions to make sure that, you know, Star Trek of all places did not take it into a direction that wouldn't be appropriate. And I think they nail, they nail something very human here with this Vulcan mother-in-law. Pete, let's set our long range sensors to scan for some theories. So Pete, let's get down to it here. Kirkovians from Kirk off. Is this saying, Star Trek, modern Star Trek hates James T. Kirk. The episode starts with a Kirkov's gun that, of course, 
has to go off and then have the bullet put back in the chamber before the end of the episode. Pete, a bit more seriously, some discussion online, some reactions here as Spock eats the bacon. A, concerns, to go back to this notion of of farce or caricature, this notion that is Spock how somehow uh, somehow representing the real world people uh, who who choose not to eat bacon, whether it's in particular or meat in general? Are they making fun of that? So that, that that's one level of discussion. Then there's the next level of discussion: what kind of meat does Pike use, and is it sourced from the replicator, and so on and so forth? So where would you like to begin the the cultural end or the the kind of uh, I don't know meat morals end? How about the playful end that? Uh... Vulcans are vegetarian, and he's been stripped of his Vulcan genetic material. Hence, he can try bacon, he can appreciate it, and uh, there are no lies and no faults. Pete, we had discussed leading into this season, do we have a return of uh, Amanda and or Sarek? I think, obviously, for story reasons probably not going to see Sarek for the foreseeable future. I think this was a great use of Amanda that still kind of preserves the canon. She can show up in Journey to Babel, and it still has been a long time and and so forth. What surprised me, though, was I in no way saw the Spock, kind of a, a greater commitment to the Spock Chapel romance. I did not see that coming until the final scene. And it also fits into canon in terms of as you said, uh, there is that space when we get to classic Trek, there is that space between Spock and T'Pring, but also there's just enough years for the lost weekend for the time apart and seeing Mm -hmm. other people and to have its own journey. That could be an episode or five or 10 or 20 and to just really have a natural, a natural arc to it there while still preserving the great canon. Well, do you ship chalk or spapple? Matt, um, I know that it makes story sense to spend some time in the next five episodes, whether it's a little each week, what you know, whatever it's going to look like, spend some time in what remains of this season to explore a Spock and Chapel uh, relationship. I think that you know, I mean, obviously from day one, Spock has been this enig- enigmatic, magnetic character, and exactly how how I understand how Vulcans show emotions and love and all of that that's kind of evolved over the years i know the whole notion of they have emotions but it's very deep down that's shown in classic trek i always think of how in star trek 09 i feel like it was kind of represented as um there are those emotions there so to say the slightest little thing to say i love you to, to you know when that comes from a vulcan that means 10 times more than when a human says it and I think to explore all that here as part of these upcoming episodes, it just it's great fuel for the show. Not only do we have an endpoint for Spock with his dual relationships here, Chapel and to Pring, Chapel Matt began the countdown of her own until she beats uh, Roger Corby, uh, her soon-to-be ex-fiance. And you know what, knowing that there are those, um, knowing that those are potential goalposts that can be hit, 
this season, next season, whatever it might be. Or even if let's imagine joking slash not joking, let's imagine some sort of, you know, catastrophic. Now all Star Trek is canceled and it goes back into the fallow field and so forth. That doesn't stop the fact that these things, that that's where Chapel is headed. It doesn't stop the fact that Spock is still headed for a mock time and the, the true suspension of that relationship and, and so forth. Um, I'm even thinking to whatever degree we expect a return this season to the Cybok storyline there. You know, we have the character of Staan who eventually will fight Spock in a mock time and all of that. You know, that could be a delicious little, you know, the scene starts with Tapring and Staan uh, finishing tea before she goes to answer the call or whatever it is, just enough to go, that's cooking in the background too. It's that interesting character stuff. You know, give me, give me the time travel in two weeks. Give me this, that, the other. Give me a Gorn fight scene that's coming at the end of the season or whatever. That's all fun stuff. But at the end of the day, it's about these characters. Yeah. And with the notion that this wonderful episode, the the cherry on top for me would have been, you know, Cybok somehow in there. There's just not enough space so that we will return to to bring in their break and somehow you incorporate cybok there whether it's we're going to have a session with him to try to get him to come back to um you know getting rid of emotion and embracing logic or it's a full-on breakout uh some captain angel hopefully in the offing as well it's uh it's a great portent halfway through the season i'd also like to observe this is an episode you can't do in the first season because so many of those scripts are written for the character without the real knowledge of the actor now of course changes can get made we think back to elysian kingdom last season oh christina chung sings a little bit let's incorporate that or whether she's thinking it up on the day or whatever it is it's late in the season she can sing everybody's cool with that you don't know ethan peck you as a production don't know ethan peck yes he's done all the the discovery episodes but you don't really know what he can do as an actor beyond you're a good spock you don't know that in the first season his warmth here and his magnetism made me think of when we were at the season one premiere when we had not seen any episodes but they had season one in the can and we're working on season two and we're kind of off to the side there we hadn't gone upstairs yet and we're like the cast is using that door 20 feet away. There's Anson, Matt. there's this, there's that. And when Ethan Peck walked in, him just saying, hi. And just you go, that's the Peck voice. But it's also, there's the Ethan Peck warmth and all of that that you get a taste of in this episode. Yeah, just a phenomenal showcase to give him and to be able to see him so differently than the ordinarily buttoned up spock in which oh you know did you see that he he did the eyebrow a little differently in this episode that was acting but here you know the the petulant uh aspect of a of a teenager whether it was the scene with uh laon or you know with sam kirk and then you know ultimately the showdown with his in-laws um it's just a tremendous uh, stage to be given here. I love 
how they reach back to Star Trek Enterprise, Matt, where we first learned from T'Pol being on that early mission that the um, odors around humans a little too much to bear. Yeah, it's it's a great it's a great callback. It's also well used in this uh, in this episode specifically. You know, mom smells the human the humanity in the room, and it's kind of implied. You know, it's probably stinky Amanda back there, dirty so and so. Might be that captain whose food I'm not going to eat. But that's enough cover to not be like. And there, there's a third stinker, and he, you know, it, 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 she's not picking up on Spock. All of that. Um, Pete, I'd like to talk for a second about two people not in this episode. I think you hit the nail on the head perfectly. Pelia's not here either because this is not. This is a 60-minute episode that there's just not the room for, Amanda, good to see you. Like, that. that's not this episode. I think, too, you know, whatever Carol Kane's per-episode rate is, it was not a good use of that to have her show up in one scene when you could just as easily be like, and Mia Kirshner has been hired for two episodes this season. Hey, Mia, we'll see you next week or two weeks, you know, whatever it is. We'll see you for when we booked you later in the season. And that's the Carol, you know, the Carol Kane episode. Uh, and so forth. So there's that, which I know some people were like, it's completely unreasonable. The Peely is not there. Guess what? Peely got written out of the story for this episode. Um, but here we are, Pete. We're halfway through the season. I'm pretty sure we were promised when Hammer got killed off, Bruce Horak will return in another role. When, when are we going to get some awesome Bruce Horak in another role? Prosthetic, not prosthetic, human. A human with uh you know a visor or some sort of sight enhancement or whatever it is he was so great in the first season i want to be able to say nudge nudge that's that's hammer but he's back as a different guy now where is he he's coming he's okay. coming um the aspect about uh pelia you know reassuring that our listeners and followers on social media even pointing to uh they protected themselves in this episode by even mentioning why she's not there uh, rather than, hey, we've already established these two characters have a relationship. Uh, why isn't she there? It would have seemed far too obvious to not. Matt, the Kirkovians, yellow and blue, they make... Uh, I don't know, yellowy blue? green they do uh green like kirk used to wear sometimes what's your like what's pike your takeaway there <laughs> what's that like pike war in this episode yeah um sure they're they're you could say this about the kirkovians beat they sure are colorful with that let's open hailing frequencies hailing frequencies open sir to twitter we go it still is there pete although losing followers here and there gaining followers over on threads at fantastic geek at peter j Cadillar. uh but the, the the question this week for uh the twitter poll was uh you know how would you rate the episode lowest rating kurt's aliens disc kirk got 3.4 percent uh next kind of a round ear episode got 3.4 percent next ship swoon uh you see pete that's both the starship and the relationship that got 20.7 percent and then the the top vote here 
hilarity on the edge of forever which i'm really proud of that thanks muse who whispered in my ear 72.4 percent some replies here uh rose ferry at anna rose 584 on twitter uh what the ph star star i don't know what she's trying to say pete as spock says anson mount's comedic performance is perfect it would have been nice to see more charades because dad is hilarious maybe outtakes will have more Pete, I will add to that. I think it was in my notes, and I must have skipped it over. The scene where uh, mom has beamed in, and mom is zeroing in on like you know, or, or Pike is like, "Let's go to to sick bay," and mom's like, "No, stop." The doors close on Pike. They should not close on Pike. He just kind of looks at them like, "What? They're broken here." You know, it's story needs them to stay put, and those doors close. And again, it's like. Anson Mount, do something funny in the background that you're not the focus here. And he 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 rises to the occasion. Allowing space for Anson Mount to explore his comedic range in support of the featured role here with Ethan Peck in this episode is just another smart decision. James is sagacious. That's uh, at Big Killen on Twitter says, love that they cleared up why Pelia didn't come to meet Amanda. It's like the writers have heard Matt and Pete ask for that <laughs> quote one line of dialogue. Isn't it odd that the Vulcans hadn't studied the vanished alien slash vortex before Starfleet? I will admit it is a little odd. It, yes, agree 100%. Convenient for the story, you know. They do establish it's on the far side of the sector there's also been a number of references that there's no moons around vulcan so it's it's far enough away um yeah again they they protect it from nearly 57 years of storytelling andre jaeger at dr polo 1983 says mr peck did an excellent job going from human uh from vulcan to human showed wide emotional swings that were impressive uh, bet he loved breaking character for an episode. Has to be difficult playing that stuff all the time. Great episode. Uh, and uh, James replies, he still had to pull off human playing Vulcan. So was it more difficult? Uh, I guess that's one, Pete, we would tweet at Ethan Peck, except he can't promote stuff currently right now. So we'll save it for the, for the convention speech. They're not speech. even allowed on podcasts, Matt. I know. Uh, well, to promote current work any yes. look any star trek writers or actors who happen to be listening to this you can hop into our dms uh if you want to talk about you know yeah, like they're Anson allowed Mount. yeah um you, if you want to come on the podcast to talk about pottery or your journey <laughs> through life or whatever it might be that's cool we will completely we, we don't need to talk about the stars trek uh we hear from at diana bodenberg who says hooray spapple or chalk Spock shoving his face full of bacon reminded me of myself when there's bacon around. Glad he gave to Prill what for and stood up for Amanda. Peck playing Vulcan turned human was hilarious. More Stranger Worlds, please. Good news, Pete. They'll make more post-strike tier. Uh, we hear from Prodigy Deserve Better at KCLYLE1 on Twitter. Great episode. Peck played a fantastic human Spock. It's rare that a Star Trek show actually makes me laugh out loud. Are there only prime color aliens? Is there a magenta or puce somewhere? <laughs> Pete, it's let me pause his words for a second here. It's probably that's how the Universal Translator translated it. Like it might have been, you know, uh, I don't know. It might have been um, 
I'm trying to think of a non-yellow kind of yellow. But, you know, magenta might have come across as red if magenta showed up. I don't know. Uh, but back to these th- these words here. Spock's <laughs> monster-in-law need never be heard from again. And after that smooch, she probably won't be. Uh, next up, Spider-Ham Lincoln, Tess LC-139. Based on previews, I expected to dislike this one. It looked silly and ridiculous. Then I watched it, and it was silly and ridiculous, and I was right there in the eye of that love triangle hurricane. It was ultimately a really good story worthy of the Star Trek archives. Uh, Pete, I will confess, when I rewatched it, I was I was really taken by the emotion at the end, little little frog in my throat just as, look, we've all been there, right? Like, you 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 want to love and then the other per you know when the other person says they want that too like it's a it's surprising universal episode for one about aliens with pointy ears for my money the best episode of the bunch so far brett desmo williams it's at bw desmo says peck really showed out on this one great premise for some scheduled fun of alien uh, or an alien entity so advanced they see spock as contaminated compared to his travel companion and fix him Human Spock pretending to be Vulcan was glorious fun. Uh, we hear from uh, at Ed Hopkins 72. Ethan Peck is a human playing a Vulcan who's become a human pretending to be Vulcan. And all of those layers come through in his uh, performance. Spockception. <laughs> well done there, Ed. Uh, last tweet, Pete. Uh, Gunner JCH says to Pearl's racism should be called out. But beyond that, she's also looking out for her child. I wish they focused on that aspect more. As for that ending, I probably would have liked Spock and Chapel more, but Stranger Worlds made me like to pring a lot, and now I don't know how to feel. Pete, on the topic of Vulcan racism, I feel like Star Trek in general, whether it's Enterprise Forward, I feel like that has been a common thread that you can't quite call it. You can't accuse the Vulcans of being racist because that's an emotional thing, but they are logically biased against non-vulcans which sounds a lot like racism to me yes and i think the interaction between chapel and the vulcan scientists there really underscores the arrogance the oh well i'm not impressed by you and you have nothing to give me and by the end of the episode to have her be able to turn the tables and no sir it is you who do not deserve me as she is about to go into the arms of Spock once she learns he is on a break with T'Pring, uh, you know, just wonderfully brings it all around. I like your word choice there because I think normally most of us view racism as ignorance, therefore kind of a dumb choice versus arrogance, which is, uh, kind of arrogance is in general is something that is done with great knowledge like i know i'm a much better chess player than whoever you know i can be arrogant about that but when it's when it's done as the vulcans do it it equally you know is is offensive if you will pete what do we have there on facebook on facebook matt alan thomas has written into the fantastic geek facebook page from last week's episode I thought this was the best episode of the season. Some really interesting sci-fi, but I can't sign on to your hand-waving away the prime directive violation. If an alien race had deflected the asteroid that slammed into the Yucatan 66 million years ago, there would be no Shakespeare. 
no da Vinci, no Captain Pike. Maybe some other species with natural protection against the asteroid radiation would have risen to dominance, and now Pike has preemptively committed genocide against them. I don't fault the writers, though. Uh, I felt like both Spock and Pike knew it was kind of BS, but they implicitly mutually agreed to go along with Pike's rationalization. Based on the Admiral's testimony in the earlier episode, it seems the PD, Prime Directive, uh, tends to be, quote, honored in the breach, unquote. Pete, the secretive ruling class was not because of Zack. This was information they obtained on or before their previous visit. It was presumably secretive because the rulers retained their memories with the ore the castle and helmets were made of. All that predated the mission that stranded Zack. I'd acknowledge Alan's point, but also, again, with the fullness of story, that it works to front load and then on the back end. Uh, Alan had another post where he said that making Zack an ensign would be letting him off way too easy. I'm stunned to see you suggest this. Uh, he should have destroyed the Federation tech and tried to blend in to the population. But even if you forgive him for not doing that, he ordered the landing party captured and sent out to lose their memories. He also knew full well his actions were likely to get the Enterprise destroyed and kill everyone on board. He should be court-martialed and thrown in the brig for decades, at minimum, for all those counts of attempted murder alone. Pete, on the topic of the Prime Directive reflection there, uh, I, think, I think that we as fans watching a show tend to go, oh yeah, it's this thing that somebody thought up to create a fake story block and then you work a way around it. Uh, you know, it's no different than any other thing. Oh no, the submarine's running out of air. Okay, that's a cool thing to deal with for 50 minutes. And then in minute 53, you plug it and you go, hooray, we saved the day on our submarine show, that kind of thing. However, I think the comments here are kind of, they show a flip side. If we if we live in the Star Trek universe it's a reminder that for as much as it's kind of a joke to us, you know, Wesley's got a ball in the thing and now kill him and find a way to unkill him by the end of the episode. It is also, it, it is a good idea to not interfere with races that aren't ready and civilizations aren't ready. That's a good guiding principle, but there are all these exceptions that really do make sense. So it is something that I think is this, source i mean we've seen it in star trek episodes but i think that in in the universe of star trek it is something that is a source of constant reflection you know what is the right thing capital t capital r capital t what is the right thing to do what is the morally correct thing to do with the asteroid the drought the this the that so some good reflection there to the email inbox we go we hear from jackie wolf who says hello matt and pete i know this is my first time sending feedback in a while I was recently diagnosed with a chronic illness, and sometimes flare-ups keep me from watching new episodes in real time. I do still love listening to your podcasts across Star Trek, Star Wars, uh, the Marvel Universe, and supporting you on Patreon, and I have some feedback for Episode 5 of Strange New Worlds. 
First, I noticed that Nurse Chapel's hair is styled differently this season. It looks like it's been teased to have more volume, especially at the crown. It's almost as if they want to bridge her look from last season to the wig from TOS. Second, I enjoyed the mention of nasal suppressants and the smell of humans being an issue. That was a nice callback to Enterprise, a series that I feel doesn't get a lot of love. Now, we all know that Hollywood has a representation problem when it comes to including actors and characters from Africa. So I love that Strange New Worlds not only has a character from Africa, but an actor from Africa as well in Babs Olusun Makan. Both he and Celia Rose Gooding are excellent actors, and the show gives them room to show off their strengths. I have a quick... Uh, I have to give a quick nod to the show for that. Lastly, and this may be a reach, but stick with me, I recently rewatched the Festivus episode of Seinfeld and couldn't help but notice many parallels between the ceremonial engagement dinner and a Festivus <laughs> dinner. There were there was a feat, uh, feats of strength, holding a scolding teapot, an airing of grievances, and finally a Festivus miracle. We saw a bathroom on a starship. Something almost never happens. Oh, my goodness. I guess instead of a Festivus for the rest of us, it was a Vashal for all y'all. Oh, this is delightful. Thank you for accompanying me down that fun little side quest. And as always, thank you, Matt and Pete, for all that you do. Live long and prosper. That from Jackie Wolf, who uh, I'm sure, Pete, we hope is uh, is feeling better more often than not. Yes, and, and showing uh, a feat of strength here reaching out to us and thank you for that feedback wow the you had mentioned the festivus parallel uh you know implicitly in our recap and and now to have it explicitly called out let's let's get that mashup going uh, pete i wish that we could tweet at the writer because it's to me, it's not outside the realm of possibility that somebody was like, you know, what would be funny is a festivus episode and 20 minutes later, you're like, here's what we're not doing because it's Seinfeld, but here's the barebone skeleton. Can we hang some Star Trek stuff on that? So a, a discussion for for settled times. Pete, we now hear from uh, Stacy, who says as follows. Hi, Matt and Pete. I've been watching Star Trek movies this week, and I've been reminded that one thing Star Trek has done well from the beginning is to mix humor uh, in with even the most serious topics this episode is a good example of that so fun but also spock's identity crisis chapel's survivor's guilt and the complicated family dynamics i love this captain is going slow so the crew can look out the windows to see the sights love that everyone uh getting into helping chapel prep for the interview all sorts of settings even girls night out right answer drink whew that was an awkward turbo lift ride Ooh, pike cooking Always here for Pike in an apron, teaching Spock how to cook. Oh, no, he can't smell anything. How do you enjoy food if you can't smell it? Ha, humans smell bad to Vulcans. Kirk, oh, Spock. It's possible he's going to clean up after the briefing. Woof, being the only one at the table who doesn't get the joke is rough. Eek, ceremonial engagement dinner, no pressure. Oh, dear, even more uncomfortable shuttle ride. Oh, geez, it's always a rupture in space time with these guys. Turning into a skid, is this like driving on ice? I bet you feel strange, Spock. What the F indeed? Well, wouldn't it be nice if your car got repaired and detailed while you were in the hospital getting care? Ooh, a calling card. Love Pike's delight at the prospect of first contact. Ooh, not a bipedal alien named Yellow. Remediation has been made per our laws. No further contact is necessary. Oh, if only that was how healthcare worked. All better now. Go home. No further contact is necessary. Pike's a good captain. Not only did he keep info about Spock's accident vague, but when he says, whoa, whoa, he did not follow it up with, calm down. 
Okay, back to work and socializing. This is such a great montage, laughing and drinking and angry at Kirk for no reason. Best part, discovering bacon. La'an describing what he's going through uh, is like being a teenager, uh, as being a teenager is perfect, especially when he proves it by not quite hitting on her. <laughs> Poor Chapel, she uh, tried not to plagiarize, but that's actually what the Vulcans want. Her fieldwork is stellar, you Vulcan snob. Spock saying Vulcans can be such jerks and going in for the hug. So unlike him. And then he makes a joke. Sometimes I don't cry in the shower. Ah, Spock, welcome to the human experience. Then that smack on the arm. Spock's become a dude, bro. Love the little interplay between Pike and Amanda. We get a reminder of Pelia and a nod to how well Amanda knows her. Regulation watch cap. Nice, nice try, kids. Pike is such a bad liar. Of course you couldn't fool your mom, Spock. She's your mom. Yikes, I worked in food service a long time, and you develop what one boss calls asbestos fingers because you just get used to touching hot things. Grabbing a scalding hot teapot barehanded, though? Nope. Uhura, uh, La'an, Una, and Ortega showing Spock how to talk like a human is, is hilarious. Actually, I think it was more like talk like a Vulcan. Uh, anyhow, uh, Una and Ortega doing the Spock eyebrow lift made me laugh so hard. The ritual of awareness sounds awful. No, don't be silly. We're not going to fly into another dimension. We're just going to fly adjacent to another dimension. Pike cooked dinner. Oh, and I like the dark green formal uni uniform top and his hair's defying gravity again. Spring's father seems like he would be a nice guy if not for Tapril. I think we can all agree on that. Uh, complaints weren't made during the response period, but when was the response period? How would they know what that was? Oh, Mbenga, would you tell Spock where Chapel went? Everyone needs friends like Uhura and Ortegas. Ones that you can uh, that can tell you what you need to hear, even if you don't need to hear it, even when you don't want to hear it, rather. Oh yes, charades, very important human tradition with sacred words. Even Tapring's hurt in this moment is relatable. Everyone around her knew the truth, and maybe she could have helped too. Love Chapel telling all, telling the Vulcan off about his rejection, and he's curious about her recent work. Uh, read it in a journal like everyone else. And we end the episode with a kiss. Love it. I've never seen Ethan Peck in anything else, so I only know him as Spock. I was delighted at how well he portrays Spock as human, then also as Spock as a human trying to be Vulcan. I'm looking forward to the second half of the season. And I'll, as always, looking forward to your thoughts. Pete, that from Stacy. Stacy, as always, comprehensive in her take on the episode. Indeed, Pete. And with that, let's go to Admiral Fred from the Netherlands. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 5. Nice episode, quite TOS-like, although sometimes a little too crazy, playing hints with the Falcons, especially the Pring's mother. I found that a little bit over the top. The whole interaction between Nurse Chapel and Spock was great. Very nice acted. I haven't watched the ready room yet where Jess Bush is uh, a guest. So I'm looking forward to that. I had not expected the full hookup between Spock and Chapel at the end. I really wonder if this can be canon enough with all the interactions between Chapel and Spock in the whole TOS series or are there actually enough hints in that which I'm not aware of. Great to see Mia Kirshner back as Amanda Grayson. Very nice connection to Discovery also. Great that they could get the same actress. 
I know her from Defiance, A Lost Girl, and of course the L word. One little nitpick, well, it's not a nitpick because it's in every series. If you see Nurse Chapel doing her experiments, there are all, all kinds of very colorful liquids on her table. And of course, for visual effects, this is nice, but in a laboratory, most liquids are plain clear. Okay, that will be all for now. Greetings, all the best, Fred from the Netherlands. Addendum. I just rewatched the episode and there is a lot of subtle humor in it. But for me that was a little bit, well, overpowered by the humor that was too obvious and sometimes over the top. So I have to give the makers a compliment and being a little less critical than in my previous feedback. Always great to hear from Fred, Pete, and uh, indeed he celebrates the fact that uh, Mia Kirshner is able to return. Uh, it's been several years since her last appearance in Star Trek and uh, just a great, a great get. The soul of uh, Burnham and Spock in the most recent iterations of Star Trek on TV really runs through her Amanda and uh, just awesome to see her on um, Stranger Worlds. Pete, this sojourn halfway through the season could not have been done without those who support us on patreon.com slash fantastic geek. Our thanks for everyone who supports us there. Heck, Jackie Wolf even given the shout out in her email today. So our thanks to all who keep us listeners supported. Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive content, all sorts of levels to pick from, but it takes just a dollar a month to get you behind that door. Can't contribute right now? Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating or a review in seconds. And Pete, looking to the future, uh, tomorrow discussing Star Wars, specifically the Ahsoka series, uh, on Secret Invasion Saturday, discussing the Marvel Cinematic Universe's latest offering, and then back here next Sunday for Star Trek Sunday. It is the great triumvirate here, for as long as it lasts here, we shall see. But let's certainly keep the conversation about all three story universes going, and more. Pete, how can people be in touch with you? You can find me on Twitter for as long as it continues to exist, at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R, J K L R K E T E L A A R 12,730 followers can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter's looking back lost, do reach out to the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com, check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, and threads where we are fantastic geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash fantastic geek with a PH, all one word, like it today. With that, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. No further contact is necessary. Bye.